Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. This week I want to talk about a poet, and I know that happens most weeks, but this guy, I've got sort of unusual reasons for being interested in the first place. First of all, when he was 13, he entered, wait for it, Henry VIII's court. So this was 1516, yeah. There's actually a record of a few years later of him taking part in a tournament. I'm talking about jousting and stuff like that. I think this might be my first jousting poet that I've done on the podcast. And Henry VIII was present, actually uh, did a bit of tournamenting himself. And then you think, well, that it can't get much more strange than that. Then this poet had a fling with Anne Boleyn. And uh, that went a bit wrong. Ten years later, when Anne Boleyn was very much out of favour, all that came up again. And for that reason and a few other things, the poet was imprisoned in the Tower of London. And actually, get this, from his window, he watches his ex, Anne Boleyn, being executed. Now, we've all fantasised about watching an ex being executed from our window but for it to actually happen actually executed would be a great email title if you were sending a report of watching an ex executed you could go ex hyphen ecuted anyway he um he makes a comeback and he gets some cracking jobs and in the end he has to go off on a on a an errand for the king and he gets a fever from uh, riding so hard and he dies age 39. That's that's it. And he's called Sir Thomas Wyatt and that's who I want to talk about today. But what a backstory. I mean, it's really, as poets go, the jousting poet should be the title of this, I think. Anyway, so I'm going to look at some of his poems i just gotta say you you're probably gonna think oh i thought you weren't interested in the biography of of poets that it gets in the way of um reading the poem in a sort of a emotional from the got way rather than thinking oh this is probably a reference to that incident and i'm not gonna do that i just wanna sometimes i watch test cricket on the television or even white ball cricket and it's live from, let's say, Australia. And I'm watching it probably on my own at night. And suddenly, I don't know why, it strikes me. Oh, wow, this is actually happening in Australia. And I'm watching it as it happens in colour. And it completely blows me away. And I know it's something that most people take for granted, understandably. And that's how I feel about the fact that I can read the poetry, the deeper thinkings and writings of a man from the 16th century. I just, I just occasionally that hits me in a, in a wondrous, awe-inspiring way. Okay, this is my favourite Sir Thomas Wyatt poem. And I'm just going to go straight into it. The title is nearly always the first line with Sir Thomas Wyatt, so listen out for that. They flee from me that sometime did me seek 
with naked foot stalking in my chamber, I have seen them gentle, tame and meek, that now are wild and do not remember, that sometime they put themselves in danger to take bread at my hand, and now they range busily seeking with a continual change. And that last word there, change, that's what this whole stanza is about. The first line, they flee from me that sometime did me seek. So people that used to seek me, the people that used to want to know me, that wanted to get close to me, now are avoiding me. And this can happen in love, of course, as I'm sure you all know. But I think there's a greater relevance here, which I'll come to in a minute. So that flee and seek, as two me's, a flee and a seek in that first line. Lots of E-E-E internal rhyming, and it makes it, I think, a really cracking opening line. They flee from me that sometime did me seek with naked foot stalking in my chamber. Stalking, of course, is a hunting term. So we're straight into it. There's there's something animalistic about this kind of courtship. So these people who he speaks of, and it seems to be exclusively women, they stalked him in his chamber with naked foot. Maybe the naked foot, a bit of a lure to draw him in. And then he talks about their changing mood. I have seen them gentle, tame and meek that now are wild and do not remember that sometime they put themselves in danger to take bread at my hand. There's something very sensual about this idea of they take bread at my hand. It's an animal called in close and completely opening themselves and trusting the speaker. And he just gives them bread there. And that now, these, they, are, they now are wild and do not remember. So all that's gone. All that closeness and all that trust seems to have disappeared. And now they range, busily seeking with a continual change. So now they range, they wander, they are abroad, if you like. The ones that were in his chamber and domestic and near to him. Now they're out there, busily seeking with a continual change. So those that seemed like tame animals are now revealing themselves as predators, And they're out there looking for new victims, if you like, and using whatever is required, that continual change, change of victim, change of demeanour, change of the plan of attack. They've moved on from the speaker and now they're out there hunting a new victim. That's how he sees it. Remember, he's quite bitter about this. And I don't think... The speaker is just talking about the rejection of a lover here. I think he's talking about being the flavour of the month and not being the flavour of the month anymore. And I, to be honest, there was a time when I was massive. (laughs) And um, 
and now I'm happier but less massive. And whenever that crops up in an interview, the fact that, you know, I don't see you on telly as much as I used to, I always say, when I talk about it, they flee from me that sometime did me seek. Because one thing about celebrity and the slight changing of celebrity status is that feeling when people are all over you and you are the centre of their attention when they are stalking you in your chamber. And I don't mean, I'm not just talking about sexually here, I'm just talking about people who want to be in your orbit you feel that when it stops and when they flee from me that sometime did me seek. And I say a lot because I am still able to enjoy, although it's a sort of rejection of me, it isn't a rejection of me, it's a rejection of my crumbling status is, uh, is what it is. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I use it a lot, and I suppose it delights me in a way that Sir Thomas Wyatt had this kind of experience a long time ago, and he is able to adopt the sort of superior tone that gets us all through it. Okay, next stanza. Thanked be fortune, it hath been otherwise, twenty times better, but once in special. In thin array, after a pleasant guise, When her loose gown from her shoulders did fall, And she me caught in her arms long and small, Therewithal sweetly did me kiss, And softly said, Dear heart, how like you this? Okay, now... I don't want to go straight to that this, but I just want to say that I think that that this at the end is one of the most ambiguous this is in all poetry. But in a minute we'll get there. So thanked be fortune, it hath been otherwise 20 times better. So yeah, so uh, things have cooled a little as far as people responding to me. But, you know, I have seen good days. Thank be fortune, it hath been otherwise 20 times better. So, yeah, I've had the good times. I can still look back on those. But once in special. Now, he's been talking, they flee from me that sometime did me seek. And now they range busily seeking with a continual change. I love that word range, by the way, the idea of them out there looking around. Now it's got as specific as one incident. This is what really sticks in his mind, his memory of his golden age. In thin array, after a pleasant guise. So this woman is in a very skimpy outfit, in a pleasant guise, a pleasant style, when her loose gown from her shoulders did fall. And she me caught in her arms, long and small. And even that, that her arms are long and small, there's a bit of the predator and the tame about it. The long arms suggesting a capturing and containing element and the smallness suggesting a vulnerability and weakness, which now appears, well, phony. But anyway, therewithal, so also 
sweetly did me kiss. So she takes him in her arms and she kisses him and softly said, Dear heart, how like you this. Now, what is the this in that line? It could be anything. It could be the thing that she's doing. It could be something that she is revealing. Who knows? But my goodness me, that is a hot line from Sir Thomas Wyatt. Still hot after 500 and odd years. Hold it, I'm just going to lick my finger and... Yeah. Interesting as well, what does she say? Dear heart, I like you this. And you think, well, it doesn't get more intimate than that. But heart, of course, is also H-A-R-T, is the name of a deer that was oft haunted at the time. So even in that most intimate statement, there's still a sense of the hunt of the victim. Rightio. It was no dream. I lay broad waking, but all is turned, thorough my gentleness, into a strange fashion of forsaking. And I have leave to go of her goodness, and she also to use new fangleness. But since that I so kindly am served, I would fain know what she hath deserved. Now that is quite hard to take in a, in a lump, so I'm just going to, as ever, break it down. It was no dream, he's, he's thinking back to that moment, that moment with the loose gown and the kiss and the dear heart, I like you this. It was no dream, I lay broad waking, which is kind of wide awake. But all is turned thorough. Thorough is through. It's a, a different contemporary spelling of through. So I'm going to say through for the hell of it. But all is turned through my gentleness into a strange fashion of forsaking. And that's interesting. He puts it down to his gentleness. So I think in the, as far as the sort of love element of it, maybe he's, he, what he's done is he's ignored the old treat and mean, keep them keen adage. And he feels he's shown too much love. That is from the love rejecter aspect. The social rejecter aspect, I think he means when he says, my gentleness is loss of power. That's what I think he means, that suddenly he doesn't have as much social oomph as he used to have. But all is turned through my gentleness into a strange fashion of forsaking. And that idea of the forsaking of him, of him being rejected and neglected is a fashion, fits in perfectly with the whole idea that he's basically been cancelled. That's what I'm saying at this. It feels to me that he's talking about that period when he, post hot, is what I'm saying. The fashion of forsaking. There's lots of stuff in Thomas Wyatt that you could drop into casual pillow talk if you're having troubles in your relationship that's all I'm saying and now he ends with a lovely bit of sarcasm and I have leave to go of her goodness so I've been given permission to uh, give up her goodness that's nice obviously that is said with with some 
bitterness. He's sort of saying, I, I am freed of her attention. In other words, she's kind of dumped me and he's selling it sarcastically as her releasing him. And she also to use newfangleness. So she has leave to use newfangleness, which is such a great word to find in a poem. And obviously it means that she's free to seek out fresh sport, if you like, fresh meat, as they used to say, in less enlightened times. I mean like the 70s, not the 16th century. And then this final couplet, but since that I so kindly am served, God, you can hear the malice in that, can't you? But since that I so kindly am served, I would fain know what she hath deserved. So since I'm treated like this, so kindly, ha ha, I would fain know, I'd like to know what she hath deserved. So he's just asking at the end. Yeah, if I'm treated like this, who's loved and who's been kind and and gentle, if I'm treated like this, what does she deserve who hunted me down and then spat me out? That, I think, is the general gist of that. I like it. Basically, I like it that it still kind of works all this time later. I think it could sit comfortably on Adele's album 21 in that it's about being dumped. Adele's fame and celebrity, I'm keen to point out, is absolutely unassailable, it seems. So she doesn't have to worry about all that. Okay. I just want to do one more Thomas Wire, and again, it's about it's um, the, the bitter lover who feels he's been mistreated. This time, it is about love, 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 rather than social rejection. I mean, you can't help thinking. I know. Was the other one just about love, and have you added the social rejection thing, the idea of bit going out of fashion, of you impose that upon it because it is your own experience. You know what? If I have, that's fine, because that's one of the purposes of poetry, to go in there to find yourself and to find a finer and a different and a illuminating expression of your own thoughts and feelings, as well as taking in the different thoughts and feelings of the poet. You find same and you find difference in there. All right, now need for a speech. I'm going to do a sonnet. That's what I'm, I mean, one of Thomas Wyatt's Don't Panic. And now in case, I mean, most of you all know what a sonnet is, but I'm going to just give you a very quick summary. A sonnet is 14 lines of iambic pentameter. We've talked about iambic pentameter before. A line with 10 syllables, unstressed, stressed, unstressed, stressed, and so on. Or as they like to call it in pantomime, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. Let me just count that. Did it, did it, did it, did it. Yeah, I'm just checking. I haven't given you the wrong number. Okay, that, 
That is two major characteristics of a sonnet, that it's 14 lines, and that they tend to be iambic pentameter. They Flee From Me That Sometime Did Me Seek is also written in iambic pentameter. It's not a sonnet, though. It's actually an example of a form called rhyme royal, in which each stanza is seven lines of iambic pentameter, with a set rhyme scheme and uh, as many stanzas as you like. I didn't mention rhyme royal when I was talking about They Flee From Me That Sometimes Did Me Seek because I didn't want to lose you that early. But it's interesting, Chaucer used rhyme royal and apparently it got its name, the royal bit, because James I wrote poetry in that form as well. Who knew? Anyway, back to the sonnet. Some people who teach poetry refer to the sonnet as a box. It's a sort of a box that you've got to fit your thoughts into. But the meter, the structure, comes first. If you say, I'm going to write a sonnet, then you've got to make all your emotions and all your thoughts and contrivances, you've got to make them fit the form. That's the secret of it. So the reason I want to do a sonnet is that Sir Thomas Wyatt was credited, certainly one of the poets credited, with introducing the sonnet to England. It was an Italian form. And in fact, sonnet in Italian means little song. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to have a look at a Thomas Wyatt sonnet and then I'll let you go. And it's called Farewell, Love, and All Thy Laws Forever. As I said, this again could be on um, on the album 21. And, you know, once it's got a bit of um, blue-eyed soul sensibility shot through it, you wouldn't know the difference. Okay. So I'm going to read the first eight lines because people who write sonnets, certainly Petrarchan sonnets, which is what this is, because... Petrarch was the Italian who really made the sonnet a biggie. They tend to be eight lines making a general statement and then four lines slightly modifying it and then two lines summarising. Eight, four, two, 14 lines. We're okay. Okay, here's the first eight from Sir Tom. Farewell, love, and all thy laws forever. Thy baited hooks shall tangle me no more. Senec and Plato call me from thy law. To perfect wealth my wit for to endeavour. In blind error when I did persever, Thy sharp repulse that pricketh I so sore Hath taught me to set in trifles no store And scape forth since liberty is lever. Now, I know it's a gobful, as we used to say in the West Midlands, but honestly, it's, it's lovely. Farewell, love, and all thy laws forever. Love has got a capital letter. He's not saying, all right, ta-ra, love. It's, it's not like that. It's love. The whole concept of love and courtship and that Farewell, love, and all thy laws forever, L-A-W-S, as if it is some 
restraint, as if it's something where you are controlled, something where you have to follow the rules. And he wants to get out of it. Thy baited hooks shall tangle me no more. And we're back to the haunt, aren't we? He's not being stalked this time, but baited hooks. You are led in. That naked foot in the chamber was a bait, wasn't it? And he went in and he bit and he got the hook through the roof of the mouth and he got togged about a bit before being thrown back in. That's my summary of um, Dave Flea from me that sometime did me seek. Okay, thy baited hook shall tangle me no more. Lovely angling image there. Again, you sort of forget that people angled in the 16th century, I think. So farewell, love, and all thy laws forever. Thy baited hook shall tangle me no more. This I love. Senec and Plato call me from thy law, and then quite a complicated bit, to perfect wealth, my wit for to endeavour. Senec is Seneca and Plato, the philosopher. So two philosophers... Seneca was a Roman Stoic philosopher who believed that virtue and wisdom were all you needed for happiness. And so, like, physical pleasures can't possibly compete with a sage-like understanding of the world. I, I could be persuaded to that. There's, there's actually a letter which exists which Sir Thomas... Wyatt wrote to his son, I think something like 1537. That's how I remember it. And he recommends Seneca as a moral philosophy, as a way of learning about life. So he's he's giving up on love and turning to books. And, you know, it's a thing that we all do occasionally. I've done it several times and it's hard to stick with. But it can be great for a bit. Seneca and Plato, call me from thy law. Now, remember, we had farewell, love, and all thy laws forever, L-A-W-S, all the rules, all the things that constrain me. But now it is thy law, L-O-R-E. So that's sort of the whole culture of it, that sort of traditional knowledge, all the real deep stuff of love. I'm not interested in it. I want books, I want learning, I want philosophy, I want Senec and Plato. To perfect wealth, my wit for to endeavour basically means that gives me a chance of achieving perfection by using my wits in a way that in love there is no opportunity to achieve perfection. I want something I can master in a way that love can never be mastered. I'm giving up on women and love and I'm going to study and that's something that's controllable and I can measure my achievements and I can gain status and I have more security from learning than I ever will from love because love hurts. I'm sort of obviously trying to expand it somewhat so it makes sense. 
In blind error when I did persever. Now, persever, as you may have guessed, is persevere. I've slightly split this strangely. So it says to perfect wealth, my wit for to endeavor. In blind error when I did persever. Blind error, obviously Cupid is blind or blindfolded. So there's a bit of um, the, 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 that lore of love, that uh, L-O-R-E of love in that. He's about to compare the mythical arrows of Cupid with the very real pain of uh, rejection by a lover. In blind error when I did persever, thy sharp repulse that pricketh I so sore hath taught me to set in trifles no store. So thy sharp repulse, the way you rejected me, the way you dumped me, that pricketh I so saw it really hurt, has taught me to set in trifles no store. Forget about trifles, forget about love and kisses and writing billet doux and waiting for that text. Well, obviously him not waiting for that text, but the, the, all the foolishness that goes around love, you don't get that with Seneca and Plato. And so... The pain that he's had hath taught me to set in trifles no store and scape forth since liberty is lever. Lever means preferable. So freedom is better than all that. And for all the good bits of love, the pain outweighs it. And I've had enough. Where's me books? So that's the first eight lines. I'm going to do the next four now. We're nearly there. Uh, I know it's slightly tougher this week, but I really think what well, this this guy jousted, just remember that. Therefore, for, now as I say, these four lines are often a slight twist on it or a slight development. Therefore is a classic opening to the lines 9 to 12 inclusive because he's just going to make a slightly different point here. Therefore, so I've said, made my point, I've had enough of love, it's made a fool of me and it's really hurt me. I'm going to go to the great philosophers where I can find solace. Therefore, farewell. Remember, he's addressing love. Therefore, farewell. Go trouble younger hearts. And in me claim no more authority. With idle youth, go use thy property. And thereon spend thy many brittle darts. So he's telling love to get lost, go trouble younger hearts. And that is the thrust of these four lines, that I've experienced maturity. I'm going to be learned. Love really is for your young bloke. So I suggest you concentrate on them. Go trouble younger hearts and in me claim no more authority. With idle youth, go use thy property. Thy property... I think those sort, you're sort of what you are, but also I think property that, well, I know property then could refer to an instrument or even a, a weapon. So it could mean with your bow, going back to the Cupid thing, but basically go and, you know, do your stuff with young men, leave me alone, and thereon spend thy many brittle darts. So on those young men, spend your brittle 
darts. And the fact that they're brittle makes them sound sharp. This is the Cupid image, obviously, of firing arrows at lovers. But also that they break, that they are temporary and fragile, as love so often is. Okay, so that is that the the thrust of those four lines is it's a young man's game, so go and find some of those love. And finally, the final summing up for hitherto, so up till now, if you like, for hitherto, though I have lost all my time, so he acknowledges that, and up to this point, I really have wasted time on this love thing. For hitherto, though I have lost all my time, me losteth no longer rotten boughs to climb. He clearly chooses the word losteth there, me losteth no longer, to make us think of, well, losting the enslaved, infatuated lover who's lost control because of his, he's lost, and that's what he's going to give up. But that final line unfolds, me lusteth no longer rotten boughs to climb. So I lusteth no longer, I'm no longer hungry, I'm no longer hankering to climb rotten trees where the branches that you felt you could trust snap suddenly and dump you painfully, in this case, on the ground. I suppose if you had been recently dumped and was furious with your ex, you could legitimately send out a text message to friends that said, me losteth no longer rotten boughs to climb. And then maybe with a, I don't know, a decaying forest emoji. It's about that. You rely, you, you put your trust in these things and they are rotten and weak and, and unreliable. I know I, I keep sort of making, I suppose, light-hearted analogies in this particular podcast. I think, i got to admit, it's probably me not trusting you enough and thinking this poetry is quite old and it has a formality of structure and the various literary conventions of the time and it might put you off a bit. I shouldn't do that because I tell you what, I think you can still, despite all that, and I think they're very interesting, those structures and those conventions, but also I think there is more going on. I, I do think you can hear Wyatt's heart beating in there. You can, you can still really feel his dejection and his humiliation, even though it's expressed in this quite formal structure. That is a couple of examples of the poetry of Sir Thomas Wyatt. There's a lot more, and I really like it, but I I know I think I like it best because it's a voice from an age that seems so mythical. It's like talking to Merlin or something like that. I hope you liked it. Thanks for listening to Series 5 of Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. Don't forget you can find all of the previous series and episodes from wherever you get your podcasts.